You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. One time, a police inspector went to visit a primary school where he was asked to take a scripture class. And he began by asking the class, Does anyone know who knocked down the walls of Jericho? There was a long silence as the children shuffled nervously in their seats. And eventually a little lad by the name of Bruce Jones put up his hand and said, Please, sir, my name is Bruce. I don't know who did it, but I promise you it wasn't me. (laughs) The policeman thought the reply was fairly cheeky, so he told the headmaster about it. And the headmaster replied, Look, I know Bruce Jones. He's a pretty honest kid. If he said he didn't do it, he definitely didn't do it. The uh, police inspector was exasperated, and so he wrote to the Department of Education and received this response. Dear sir, we're sorry to hear about the walls of Jericho and that nobody's admitted causing the damage. If you send us an estimate, we'll see what we can do about the cost to repair them. Now, this is a, a bit of a silly story. It comes from the big story of Scripture from Vaughan Roberts. But it also speaks to something, that, uh, that in years gone past, many people would know the stories of the Scriptures pretty intimately. Even if they didn't call themselves a Christian, we would know a bit more. But even in your church, even in God's church, we know less and less about the Bible. There are parts to it that we are very familiar with. Maybe the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are familiar to us like the backs of our hand. But then other parts, we really struggle to see how they fit in. What what do we do with Genesis? What do we do with Isaiah or Malachi or Habakkuk? What do we do with Revelation? How do we make sense of it all? How do we make sense of the stories that we grew up with and how they fit in? And where do I fit in? That's in part why we're starting this series, to help us remember. Mike Metzger uh, has a, a quote about this. He says that many churches have forgotten the premium that the historic Judeo-Christian tradition placed on remembrance and recalling the right things. The great sin of the Old Testament was forgetfulness. At least it's the most recurrent offense. Remember is the most frequent command in the Old Testament. We've forgotten our own story. Over the next five weeks, we are going to be remembering, piecing together how the Bible is one cohesive whole, not just a bunch of books telling different stories, but a whole bunch of books telling the same story of God's love from first to last. Creation, fall, exile, redemption, restoration. We even have a slide in it about what we're going to be covering. Creation, that God created all things and called them good. The fall, that even in this goodness, mankind fell through deceiving, uh, through being deceived by the serpent. Sin enters the world and exile. Israel's exile throughout the generations, but they look forward to the redemption of Jesus and the restoration that he offers. And it's important that we look at these five chapters because in many times when we tell the story of Scripture, we forget a few of them. In fact, often when we tell the story of Scripture, it looks something a bit more like this slide. We know a lot about Jesus, and we know a lot about why he came to save sinners but we forget about creation, we forget about the exile, we forget about the future restoration of all things. Mike Metzger again has this line. He says, For 2,000 years, 
The gospel recited in four chapters, creation, fall, redemption in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the final restoration. It reminded us that we are made in the image of God. This gospel starts in Genesis 1 and can be found in the Apostle and Nicene Creed, but tragically, a hundred years ago, the story was edited down to two chapters, fall and redemption. The opening chapter of creation was largely forgotten. The new starting line was Genesis 3. It reminds people that they are fallen sinners, but we are both made in God's image and sinners. The two-chapter gospel accentuates our wounds. The four-chapter gospel elevates our worth as image bearers. The two-chapter story focuses on our deficiency. The four-chapter reminds us of our dignity. If we only recall our shortfalls, it's likely we will fall short. Part of the reason that we're embarking on this series together is because we want to remember the whole story. Creation, fall, exile, redemption and restoration. The comprehensive, cohesive story of God's love for his people from Genesis to Revelation. And so my prayer is that we would not only hear this story, but remember this story and find ourselves in this story too. So let me pray as we jump into the text. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us Genesis through to Revelation, a story of your love, your grandness, your majesty, your worth. I pray today and over the next five weeks that as we unpack what that means, that you may show us how you have loved us from Genesis to Revelation in Jesus, that all the bits fit together. God, I pray that you would illuminate our minds so that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you've woken up tomorrow and something dramatic has happened. Genesis 1 and 2 has been removed not only from every single Bible but from your memories. Suddenly, the Bible starts at Genesis 3. It doesn't, it's not known as Genesis 3, it's just Genesis 1 now. It's the opening chapter where the crafty servant deceived Adam and Eve. What would we miss if the Bible starts two chapters later, two small chapters what would be missing from our faith? What would be missing from our world? What would be missing in your life? In fact, I actually want to encourage you to turn to the person next to you for a minute and just talk. What would be missing if Genesis 1 and 2 was gone? Not just from the Bible, but from our memories. So I'm going to give you a minute to discuss. Go. Go.
right, everyone. Bring it back. I'm interested to hear, what, what would be missing? Does anyone want to be brave? What would be missing? Creation. Yes, Peter. What else? Us? Yeah? We wouldn't know where we came from. We wouldn't know who created things. What else might be missing? God wanted to be our friend. Okay, what else? Authority. Authority. So even from just a minute reflecting on this chapter, there is incredible value. It reveals something important not only about us and our worth and value, but something important about God as well. In fact, I want to be as bold to say that if Genesis 1 and 2 was removed, our entire world would be dramatically different. Human rights would be eviscerated. Human dignity would be gone. The hope that we have that there is a better place that we will return to, that things will return back to, would be gone. And so I want to draw out four things that we can see in creation that are incredibly important for us to remember. I think there is so much more. I could speak for an hour about creation and all that it means, but we don't have an hour, so we won't do that. The first... God is. Creation reveals that God is. There never was a time where God was. There never was a time where God came into being. He has always been. There is no pantheon of gods that he has arisen out of. There are no other deities that he has wrestled to submission, demolished and destroyed. He is in a class of his own. He is eternal. Creation reveals that he is not created, but the creator. And it also reveals that he is not alone in the, way that, in the sense that we think of. He is not lacking friendship. In fact, he is fully satisfied in the Trinity. One of the things that creation reveals is that we don't just have God the Father, but God the Son and the Spirit. Because what we have is God the Father creating through the sound of his voice. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, it just says, God said, let there be light. There was no extensive ritual, nothing uh, crazy going on. God just commanded light and there was light out of his voice, out of his being. But God the Father is not the only one involved in, in John chapter 1 verses uh, 2 to 3. It says, he was in the beginning, he being Jesus. All things came into being through him, and without him, nothing came into being. What has come into being? Jesus was intimately involved in creation, but so is the Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 3, uh, in other translations, the NRCV says the wind, but this one says the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are intimately involved in the creation of the world. And what that tells me is that God didn't create the world out of any lack in himself. He wasn't sitting there in the heavens going, I just wish I had a friend. I just wish there was something for me to do. I'm just so bored. I guess I'll create something. There was no lack in him. He instead creates out of the abundance of his love. The world is his canvas to pour out the love that is already existing in the Father, Son, and Spirit. We are his canvas. It's why the right response to reflecting upon creation throughout almost all of the scriptures is worship. Because as they sit and reflect, they're not thinking about God's lack, but his abundance, his love, his mercy. We see this in Psalm 95. 
It says, The Lord above is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountain are his also. It says in the next line that uh, the sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. And what is the response? In the next line, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says something very similar. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. There is no reference to other gods. There is no reference to other paths. God alone is and always will be. That's why one of the other things that we can draw out is that God is supreme. See, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 were not the only creation stories out there around this time. There were other myths and stories uh, that were trying to unpack who created the world. In fact, the Babylonians and the Sumerians had similar stories. And if you let me nerd out for a little bit, there are similarities between them. In the Enuma Elish, which is the Babylonian creation story, there is a watery chaos which is separated from the heavens of the earth. Both work through in uh, strategic matter, the seven days or seven moments of creation. Both refer to the existence of light before humans being created, and both the number seven figures prominently. But one of the things that we gain from looking at Genesis chapter 1 is that it is very different. The Enuma Elish goes for 900 lines. But in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the entire universe in 31 on his own with no assistance, no melodrama, no destruction, no battle, nothing. He only needs the sound of his own voice, the power of his own voice. And it's created. Because Israel would have been asking the question, why is our God supreme? We are a small nation, a tiny nation, a backwater nation. Why is our God supreme? Not Baal or Marduk or Tiamat, the the gods of the other nations. And Genesis chapter 1 reveals the answer. The gods of the superpower did not create the world. Our God does. Our God did it. It's not simply that he is one God above many gods. He is supreme above all the others. Even in their creation stories are inferior. God alone is supreme. In fact, Genesis 1 is written so that we might see him as supreme. It's why Isaiah chapter 44 says this. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who by myself spread out the earth. God is not dependent upon anyone. He is above all things, supreme. But Genesis chapter 1 and the story of creation don't only reveal important things about God, although they are the primary things. They also reveal important things about us, about you and me, and what God thinks about you and me. It reveals our proper place in the universe, that we're created, not creator. That we're not ultimate, not God, not supreme, but that we are imprinted with his image. In fact, I think one of the things that we have forgotten, not just as a church, but as a culture, is that we are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 
Uh, it should be on the screen. God says, I created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Tim Keller commenting on this said that the image of God carries with it the right not to be mistreated or harmed. Regardless of their record or character, all human beings have an irreducible glory and significance to them because God loves them. So we must treasure each and every human being as a way of showing due respect for the majesty of their owner and creator. You have value because you were made in the image of God. Before you did anything, you are made in the image of God. Before you accomplished anything, you are made in the image of God. Before you did anything to earn God's love or favor, you are made in His image. You have value, dignity, purpose, worth. But the challenging thing is that it's not just us or the people that we like that have the image of God, but every single person. The people you dislike made in the image of God. The people you don't get along with, made in the image of God. The people that you have arguments with, made in the image of God. Collingwood supporters, made in the image of God. Our political opposition, made in the image of God. Theological opponents, made in the image of God. Literally every single person on Facebook, made in the image of God. Of God. One of the things that we have forgotten is that the people we talk to reflect God to us. They are made in His image. It would be transformative if the one thing that we took from this Sunday is that we went out into the world and treated every single person as if God had imprinted His image upon them. Imagine the way that it would change the way you work the way that you talk to people, the way that you argue with people, the way you get frustrated with people, if in the back of your mind you remembered this is someone in whom God loves and has imprinted his image upon, even if they don't know him or follow him. This is someone who reflects God, his image. His, they're not God. They need God, but they reflect him. It would be transformative for our mission if we treated people like they were made in the image of God. <coughs> but God doesn't just imprint his image upon us. He also calls us to a vocation, a calling. In, in Genesis 1, chapter, uh, verses 26 to 28, it says, God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the, God, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Next line. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God calls us to have dominion, to rule, to submit, uh, to have nature submit to us. And it's, it's, it's a kind of a wild image, isn't it? That is God calling us to rule over the animals and the earth? Do, does that mean that like when I see a spider, I can just say, stop, and it'll run away from me? Because that would be kind of cool. I don't think so. 
Vinoth Ramachandra writes, All human beings are called to represent God's kingship through the whole range of human life on earth. And God's rule is not the rule of a despot, but the loving nurture of a caring parent. How are we to relate to nature? How are we to relate to this world that we inhabit? That God has called us to steward. We are to reflect God, being his image bearers. To steward the world, to care for it like God has cared for us. This calls us to conservation and to do justice upon the world. We are not people who do not care about the earth, do not care about what happens to this world. We are people who care very deeply because God has given us a mission to represent him well. Not just with people who inhabit, but the whole world. So what do we do from here? What do we do with the creation story? I think it reveals important things about God. That he is. That he is eternal. Supreme. It should lead us to worship. That as we reflect upon his creation, not just you and me, but every single thing that we see, from the birds and the bees to the trees and just everything that we see with our eyes, it should lead us to worship but it also should lead us to reflecting upon the value that we have and the value that every single person in the world has, whether we like them or not, whether we love them or not, whether we have strong feelings towards them or not, they have been made in his image. So we should treat them like such. That God has given us a vocation, a calling to care for the world, to care for the earth, to care for nature. How do we take that seriously? That's something worth discussing over morning tea. What would it look like for me to take my vocation seriously as someone God has given to be his ambassador, to care for the world as a loving parent? Now, we might have forgotten parts of this story, but I think it is very important that we remember it so that we would see God rightly and that we would see ourselves rightly. That God is supreme, eternal, that we are made in his image and we have a calling. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we do have Genesis 1 and 2, that it has not been cut out of our Bibles, but in fact we can see that you are the one who alone created the heavens and the earth and everything upon it. God, we pray that you would lead us to worship you in spirit and truth, that we would see you for your fullness. You alone are the Lord who creates. God, I pray that as we leave this place, as we look upon the trees, as we look upon nature, as we look upon all that you have made, that we would revel in worship, that we cannot help but burst out into prayer and praise. Fill us with your spirit so that we would see all that you have done. But God, I pray I pray for the person who feels they have no worth, that you would see, that you would help them see that they have been made in your image, that before they have done anything or not done anything, that you have imprinted worth and value upon them by, by virtue of being your image bearer. God, I pray that we would live out what it means to be an image bearer and to treat others as image bearers too that we would care not only for ourselves and those we like, but we would care and love those we do not like, because in them we see you. God, we also pray for nature and the earth around us, that we would be careful cultivators and stewards, 
not disrespecting the world, but caring for it like a parent does a child. God, we cannot do this without your help. So fill us with your spirit. Give us power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.